We want to try to eliminate any possible um, excuse isn't the right word. That sounds so negative. A reason why uh, somebody might say, no, I just, I just can't go and, and hang out with you guys at that family retreat. And so my wife just gave me another one. Hey, um, you don't have to be a part of a family to come. You could be single. You could have no kids, whatever. It doesn't matter what phase of life that you are currently in. Uh, you are welcome to join us on that Sunday, uh, that, that weekend, that Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday morning. Um, so, so don't be discouraged by that. All right. Uh, the other thing, and I don't want to like embarrass anyone, but I'm trying to think in my lifetime, other than being at like a concert or something like that, and having grown up in the in the church, um, even when I was a kid, our teenagers did a really weird thing when I was a kid at our, our youth group. Um, as a as a as a child growing up, my family was you guys back there, um, but our church was different. We had like a sanctuary here, and then there was a what I think maybe used to call mezzanine, uh, those wooden doors that would close off the back part of the sanctuary. If anybody grew up in a first Christian church, you might know what I'm talking about. Um, and then there were windows on my, my literally my family sat in the back row by the window, even if there was nobody in front of us, we still sat in that very back corner. Now, originally, I think it was maybe the excuse was our church didn't have air conditioning. So we sat by that back window to get a little bit of air movement, but we never moved until I was a teenager. And then we moved all the way up to the front row. All the teens sat in like the second row, actually, not the front, the second row. Um, I say all that to say this. I don't remember ever going to church and there being two full front rows. So thank you for joining me up front. It's so nice to have people close by. Um, I'm just, just throwing that out there. I never, ever remember that happening in my life, okay? So thanks. It's great. There's still room in the second row over here. So I, anyway, it's empty actually currently. So I'm just, just throwing that out there. All right. Excited for this morning. Um, it's so much fun. It, it just, this is fun. Um, it's just fun to worship. It's fun to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. It's just fun to get to do that. Um, it's exciting to get to do that. Hopefully you, you feel that, all right? We're in this series on questions, questions that Jesus asked. And so today I'm going to ask you the question, how many of you are the one that enjoys asking the question? Like you're the, you're the guy, you're the gal that, that is willing to raise their hands. And I've got a very specific scenario for you. Who has ever been a part of a tour where you're with a group and you have a guide of some kind? Which one of you is the one in that group that is asking all the questions of the tour guide, right? Okay, you know who you are. There's nothing wrong with you. We don't resent you or anything else. As a matter of fact, you're quite helpful sometimes. You ask some great questions sometimes. Some of you have been in those groups before with that person that's asking the questions, though, and sometimes their questions have absolutely nothing to do with the tour that you're on, or even worse, they ask the question after everything's already been... They've already told you all the answers, and they're asking, well, what about, well, they already said that. And they've got to repeat it again. Like, would you just pay attention the first time? You know what I mean? Sometimes I wonder if that's how God sees me. Chris, um, you've already asked that question. You know that, right? Just, just, just curious. Chris, you know, the question you're asking, Chris, has absolutely nothing to do with the reality in which you're living. So why are you asking that question? Chris, um, yeah, I gave you that answer before, and uh, uh, mm, my answer isn't changing, so why do you keep asking? I wonder if God gets annoyed with us as we do that. I know if I were in charge, I would, <laughs> but thank God he's not like me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. God doesn't get annoyed with our redundant or annoying questions of him. Our God is full of grace He's full of mercy. He knows our flaws. He knows our weaknesses. And he does more than just put up with us. 
He does more than just put up with our questions that we keep asking. As a matter of fact, He actually loves us right to the answer for whatever we ask, even if He has told us time and time and time again. If we will listen and obey, He will move us to a place of understanding for those questions. Now, there's a challenge that I've issued as we go through this series for all of us. Yes, we're going to look at the context. We're going to look at who asked the question. We're going to look and see whether or not Jesus got the answer that he was looking for. But for us, our challenge is to imagine that Jesus is literally looking us in the eye and asking us the very question that is written in the text. Now, there are some of you who are very literal. I understand that. And you're like, Pastor, I'm going to have to correct you on that because Jesus, Jesus was not talking to me. He was talking to the religious leaders. He was talking to the disciples. He was talking to the the person that was a recipient of the miracle. Yes, yes, and yes, that is correct. But, but you see, it's not inappropriate for us to look at these questions and imagine that Jesus is asking them of us. As a matter of fact, I believe it's an incredible way to look at his words as if he's talking to us. There are so many situations that you and I will go through in life that if we look at it through the lens of Scripture, it might almost seem as if that scene from God's Word is an exact scene from our life, as if it's some type of foreshadowing that God is now speaking directly to us through His text. It's incredible. And if you have ever experienced that, then you know exactly what it's like to open up God's Word and figure out and seem in that instance that He is talking literally to you. Even though those words might have been written thousands and thousands of years ago. It's an incredible thing. If you have not ever experienced that, and that's possible, don't feel bad. Don't feel like you're missing something. Don't feel like you're inadequate. No, 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 no. Our challenge is then to just dig deeper. Dig deeper into God's Word. Ask more questions. Speak a, 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 find a, a spiritual guide, guide of some kind. A, a mentor, a leader that can help guide you through Scripture and help you see those places where God is speaking directly to you, to help relate the truths found in God's Word to our lives. That's why we're here this morning. The first question this morning actually comes from the middle of a series of questions. We're just going to pluck one kind of out of the middle because it's one that ties them all together. This is found in Mark chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible with you, grab that or your phone, open the app. Or if you don't, there's Bibles literally underneath the seats in front of you. You can snag one of those. Have any of you ever been genuinely confused Really, just confused. There was something in life that you just could not solve, a riddle you could not figure out. Some of you are like, I'm I'm confused right now. That's perfect. That's perfect. This wasn't something that you just left behind, you forgot about. It was just a common everyday thing. It wasn't any big deal. No, this was something that you dwelled on and you were genuinely perplexed. You couldn't let it go. Did you figure it out? Did you, were you able to figure out how? How did you actually figure out? How did you solve that thing? Where, where did you find the answers that you were looking for? Did you ask someone? A lot of times that's a great resource when you have those kinds of questions. Did you look in a book? You remember those? I don't know if anybody's ever used one of those. We actually used to look in books to find answers to questions. It was the, the craziest thing. You need to do research. You found a book that had the information and you found it. Now, of course, we just Google it, right? Yeah, that's, that's all we do. Have you ever thought about that process of Googling something and what actually happens when you search the internet for an answer? How did the internet find that answer for you? You ever wondered? Do you, really, do you really think it examined every single piece of information possible out there and then gathered the best possible answer, the most logical answer for you? Or do you think maybe that that information might have been influenced by some other source out there? 
Now, I'll leave that mystery for you to solve. If you want my opinion, we can go lunch sometime. I'll gladly share it with you. I'm sure you have your opinions as well, but that's not what we're talking about. This week, we're going to look at two questions that Jesus asked. He was perplexed, not because he didn't know the answer, but he just couldn't get everybody else on the same page. He definitely tied these two things together. Now, the questions aren't back-to-back. They're in separate books. They're not in the same place. They're not part of the same conversation, but they're definitely tied together in what he's asking. Jesus is revealing the way to find the answers that we're looking for, as if he knows that somebody, that, that there's a chance, there's just a chance, that you and I, if we're in search of answers, might go to the wrong place looking. Not that that's ever happened to any of us, but it just possibly could. So if you haven't got there yet, turn to Mark 8. Let's look at the context here so we can dive into the details. It says in the beginning, during those days, another large crowd had gathered. Now, to some of you, this story will sound very familiar. And then about two-thirds of the way through, you realize, oh, wait, that's not what I was thinking it was. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus had called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on their way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples give the usual answer, but where in this remote place can we possibly find enough bread for feed all of these people? Well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, and this is where you realize it's not what you think it is, some of you. Seven, he replied. No, 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 wait, that's not the story. There was only five loaves. Ah, what's going on here? He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves, once again, and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and distribute to the people, and they did so. They also had a few small fish as well. That sounds familiar. He gave thanks for them and also and told the disciples to distribute them. When the people ate, they were satisfied, and afterward, the disciples once again picked up the leftovers, this time seven baskets instead of 12, for those of you that know the other story. There were about 4,000 men present, probably upwards of 10,000 with women and children, and then he got into the boat with his disciples and went into the region of Dalmanutha. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to question him before he left. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? No, this isn't the question for today. Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got into the boat, and crossed over to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring any food, bread, with them, except for one loaf they had in the boat. And Jesus said, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Well, the disciples then began discussing, oh, he must be saying this because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? Wait, and how many baskets did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? Seven, he answered. They answered. He said to them, do you still not understand? And that's our question for today. Do we still not understand? Now, one quick side road. There's a lot of scholars that look at Scripture that don't believe in Scripture. They say, well, clearly these two stories are one and the same, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. No, they're not. (laughs) Not only are they different numbers, they're in different locations with different people, even with different amounts of leftovers. It's a totally different scene. Is it similar? Yes, very similar. Probably because Jesus is trying to teach a lesson here, and some people aren't getting it. 
Hence the question, do you still not understand? Now, for me personally, wouldn't it be helpful if somehow, some way, somebody had snuck their phone into that conversation in the boat and secretly started a recording of Jesus so we could hear his voice and the tone that he used as he was talking with those disciples? Was he angry? Was he mad at them? Come on, guys! Why don't you get this? What do I got to do? Figure it out, right? What else do I have to do to prove to you who I am? Was he frustrated with him? Was he exasperated? Do you hear the sigh? <sighs> do you still not get it, guys? Come on. What, what am I got to, what do I got to do to get this? You really don't understand. Or maybe it was a question of concern. Do you still not understand? Stand. If you can't perceive or understand or grasp who I am, then I cannot continue to teach you. We really can't move forward until you get past this point. Come on, guys. Work a little harder at this. You can do it. Here's the point. With whatever tone he was using, it was full of love Amen. and grace and mercy. He didn't throw anybody out of the boat because he could have. <laughs> I'm done with you. <laughs> Next, who, who wants to know? Right, you get the idea. He addressed these people with love. There are so many angles to look at this miracle, but that's not what we're here today. We are here today just to look at the question he asked. Just to look at the simple question. Why didn't they understand? After all they had seen and heard. Now, according to the Gospels, at this point, if you look at the chronological order of the things Jesus had done, at least the best we can put together, here is a list of everything that the disciples had seen and experienced to this point in time. They'd watched Jesus turn water into wine. They saw him heal an official's son. They saw him drive out an evil spirit from a man in Capernaum. They saw him heal Peter's mother-in-law, sick with a fever. They saw him heal a whole bunch of people one evening of this giant miraculous catch of fish that they observed. They saw him cleanse a, man's with, a man with leprosy, heal a centurion's paralyzed servant, heal a paralytic who was lowered through a roof, heal a man's withered hand on the Sabbath, raise a widow's son back to life. They watched him calm a storm. They saw him cast demons out of a herd of pigs. They saw him heal a woman in a crowded space that was dealing with an issue with blood, which we talked about last week. They saw him raise Jairus' daughter back to life. They saw him heal a couple of blind men. They saw him heal a man who was unable to speak. They saw him heal an invalid in Bethesda, feed 5,000 plus women and children, probably 15,000 people. They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal all these sick people in the garrison by just touching the edge of his robe. They saw him heal a Gentile's woman, a Gentile woman's demon-possessed daughter. They saw him heal the deaf and the dumb man. And then John goes on to tell us that the things Jesus did and said were not all written down. In fact, if they were, there wouldn't be enough space in the world for all the books that would have been written by all the things that Jesus had done. Now, they just watched him feed more than 10,000 people in the same place, likely, maybe the exact same place where he cast those demons out into the pigs. So it's a repeat performance in the same general vicinity, and they still don't understand who he is. How many people, maybe you, have asked, man, if I just had a sign from God, if God would just give me a sign, then I would believe. I, I hate to tell you this, but if you look at the examples of the 12 guys that were the closest to Jesus, it didn't work for them. And they saw it all. What makes us think we would be any different? What more did they want? What more do we need to see in order to understand that he is the son 
of God. If you take a look at your life, think about what you've seen Jesus do in your life. Now, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, you might not be able to determine what those things are yet. But once you begin that relationship with Jesus or begin a relationship with someone who has that relationship with Jesus, they can begin to point out some of those things that that has to be the hand of God upon your life. Now, we on planet Earth, especially in the United States, might call these things coincidences, luck, chance. I don't believe in any of those things, not at all. How many of those coincidences do you have to experience before you know and realize that God is the one at work in your life and in your circumstances? How many times does he have to come through for us financially, physically, whatever, before we trust in his provision? How many times have we got to experience his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness before we understand who he is? And see, all along God knew we would have this problem. He knew we might have trouble recognizing God, Jesus, on our own in our lives. So he sought out to give us a resource, an impossibly put together resource to guide us through this life. It took a couple of thousands of years to put together. It took all kinds of different authors on different continents speaking different language. And then he gave us this guide to help guide us through every possible type of attack that we might experience. And this guide has been through every kind of attack it could possibly ever undergo throughout its history, and yet here it is. (laughs) It's still here, and it's still here to tell us the story of God and His Son and their spirit that is within us. God knew we would have this problem. So in the course of Jesus' ministry, yes, he asked the disciples, do you understand? And he also said, if you don't or when you don't, then what do the scriptures say? What does my word say? What did I say to help you clarify those kinds of things? The second question from today is exactly that. What does the scripture say? What does God's word say? It's found in Luke chapter 10. Now, this is a very, very famous story for many of you. Even if you have no relationship whatsoever with God or the scriptures or church or anything else, then it's quite possible you've heard this parable before. It's that common. Luke 10, starting in verse 25 is where we'll begin. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, which was not a sign of respect, he was actually disrespecting him by calling him that term. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus asks him, well, what's written in the law, a.k.a. what do scriptures, the scriptures say? Instantly, the man replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied in verse 28, you, my friend, have answered correctly. Well done. Now just go and do this, and you will live. <laughs> Let me paraphrase. The man comes up, hey, what do I got to do to get eternal life? Jesus Jesus simply says, well, um, what's the word of God say? What'd God say? Hint, go look it up. The man, very proud. I don't need to look it up. I got this one. I know this answer. Love the Lord your God with our soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, to which Jesus replies, yes, absolutely, you're right. Now, go and do it. And then the text says that the, the religious leader walked away, the expert law walked away happy, rejoicing, excited, because he thinks, I can do this. I got this. That's right, Jesus. That's exactly right. I love you. Got to love my neighbor, love other people. That's awesome. That's all I got to do, right? That's what he did. He just walked away happy. No. No, instead he questioned Jesus. You see, he didn't understand what Jesus was telling him. He thought he knew all the answers. This time, the answer is literally right there in black and white. 
The words of Jesus seemed so simple, but the man required more. He wasn't satisfied with Jesus' answer. If you pick an issue from society today, what does the Scripture say about it? The answer is there. We can find it. The question is, will we accept the truth of God's Word? Or do we want to try to twist what God's words say? Or, or maybe even say, well, it doesn't really say that, does it? So that we can hold on to our beliefs or what society believes or what people are doing in the world Today, do we try to justify the way that we want to live by discarding the words and the teachings of Jesus? Because that's exactly what the religious leader, the legal expert in this case, did. He knew the correct answer to Jesus' question. He knew exactly what the Word of God said, but he wanted to be justified. He wanted to hear that he'd already fulfilled the Word of God and the requirements for eternal life. But there was a catch. Maybe I've done that. But just in case I haven't, who's my neighbor? <laughs> what do you mean by that Jesus, this neighbor thing? You know what's awesome about Jesus is as this man asked that question, Jesus already knows every single thing there is to know about this man. Everything he had ever done, every conversation he'd ever had, every thought the man had ever conjured up. <laughs> so Jesus shares with him a story, a story that revealed the true inner heart, the inner struggle that this man was having with what Jesus had told them. It was also the struggle of those standing there listening, and we know it was definitely the struggle of the disciples because they expressed similar concerns along certain paths that Jesus would take and people that Jesus would interact with. So in reply, Jesus goes on to tell him this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. It's a very famous parable. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, an expert in the law, when he came to the place where he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, oh, a Samaritan, oh, no, not a Samaritan, anybody but a Samaritan, Jesus, come on, come on, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he gave two denarii to the innkeeper, look after him, he said, and if there's anything else you need, I'll stop. I'll reimburse you on my way back home. Jesus just kept digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this man's soul. It would have been enough maybe to just stop and help, but it was the Samaritan that stopped and helped. But he didn't just stop and help. He stopped and helped and helped and helped and helped and helped. And then when he was done helping, he said, I'm going to leave some more help. And if you need more help, I'm going to stop by on my way back and get some more help. He just kept piling. There's nothing else the man could have possibly done to help heal this man, raise this man back up. So then Jesus asks him a question. Which of these was the neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers? Now, the expert in the law, of course, once again, knows the answer. The answer is very obvious. Of course, it's the one who had mercy upon him. And Jesus said, go. And do likewise. Now, as Jesus told the story, and the man was listening to the story, oh, he knew the answer. But was he excited about the answer? Was he excited about the outcome? He knew who the neighbor was, but how did he respond to Jesus' question? I like to think that the, probably the man did something like this. That's Samaritan. I don't want to, I'm not happy with his answer, Jesus. I don't want to help him. He's not my neighbor. He's my enemy, Jesus. What do you mean, my neighbor mutters under his breath back to Jesus? You see, church, to deal with the issues that are all around us, we have to know the answer to Jesus' question, verse 26. What do the scriptures say? Not what do you think? Not even what did my pastor say? No, no, no. 
What do the scriptures say? These issues are not political. These issues are not societal. These issues are spiritual. (laughs) And we have to know what God's word says about the issues that we're facing today. It won't make us popular. It will never win us the majority. There will be those that hate us for speaking the truth. But the truth is what saves us. And the truth is the only thing that can set us free. And in time, the truth will save those that even deny it if they turn to God. I truly, truly believe that God has a beautiful plan for every created human life. Even the leaders of those movements who are against him, who are against Jesus, who are against the truth of scriptures, God has an incredible plan for their life as well if they will only turn to him. He has good works in store for them to be doing to help build the kingdom that they are currently trying to destroy. Don't believe me? What do the scriptures say? I challenge you to look up a man named Saul. And so you became in Paul and tell me that this isn't absolute truth from the Word of God. When you watch the news, when you read the headlines, how do you view those in opposition to the truth of Christ and what His Word conveys? Do you see them as someone who Jesus died for, or do you just see them as the enemy? Do you see them as image bearers of the Creator of the universe? (laughs) Let me make it real personal from the story. Do you see them as your neighbor? Pick the person. Pick the figure, pick the type of person that you have the hardest time loving or the sin that you have the hardest time dealing with that exists around you. And don't ever forget that we are all sinners as well as they struggle in their sin. Once you have that idea in mind, now put a face with it, put a name with it. Maybe it's somebody you know, maybe it's just somebody famous or in the news or in politics or whatever. Put, make it personal. And as you walk down the road of life, You see those people lying on the side of the road, half dead. Maybe not physically. They may appear to be just fine physically, but spiritually. You see, no, they haven't been beat up by robbers. They've been beat up by Satan. And his lies have gotten them confused and disoriented and living lifestyles that are in opposition to everything that Jesus wants them to live for. The evil one has lied to them. He has beaten them up. He has taken advantage of them, and now they are left to die eternally. (laughs) Do we just walk by? Do we just walk by? Or will we stop and bring the life and love of Jesus to them, to meet them in their sin in their brokenness, and offer the love, the mercy, the healing, the forgiveness, and yes, the salvation found only in Jesus Christ. You see, for way too long now, the church and her people have crossed over to the other side of the road and looked at those people had such great need. A lot of times you hear this parable talking about people in physical need and not giving to those causes and those things. And those are, that's a great use. There's nothing wrong with that. But in this world, in this context that we live in today, it's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical one. We use terms like cultural war. We use that a lot in the church. If you read articles and church newsletters and magazines, man, you read all about the cultural war and how the church has lost the cultural war. Well, good for the church. 
because it's not a cultural war we're in. Someone changed the terminology a long time ago and got everybody confused. It's a spiritual war we're in, and we have not lost. Let me go ahead and make a bold prediction. We will not lose the spiritual battle. It's already won, church. Here's the question. Who's going to be standing with us in victory? That's what matters. That's what matters. There's a famous old passage that some of you probably know, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He's patient with me. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to him and confess, I am wrong. And I now realize it, God. Your ways are better. Your ways are higher. We just come to him. And then he changes us. So many people wait, oh, I can't go to Jesus yet because I'm not right. No, you're not. None of us are. Congratulations. Join the crowd. He is. And he's the only one that can ever begin to make us right. Too many in our world don't know. Maybe have never even been told that there is a better way, that there is a God who loves them, and they must only turn to him and turn to his word. There and only there will they find that truth that sets us free. So if you still don't understand, you still don't understand, look and see what the scriptures say. There you will find the answers. And here's the best part of all. You don't have to do it by yourself. There's a whole family of people right here, right now, that would love to help you through that process if you can't find what you're looking for. Please reach out to us and let us know. This is a perfect moment to do that. In the church, sometimes we do a really poor job of describing this moment, and sometimes we get tired of saying it. It's all the same. It's all true. All those things can happen. But here's the reality of the moment. Um, the Spirit can move in people's lives at any moment, at any point, at any time. It doesn't have to be at, I don't know what time it is on Sunday morning, okay? It could be any time of any day or any night. The Spirit moves in you and says, hey, hey, I love you. Hey, have you ever thought about choosing me and what I did for you? Maybe today is the day that the Spirit moves you to accept Jesus Christ for the very, very, very first time. And we get to join you in the nice 85-degree water behind me and be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this very moment. And you might say, but, but Chris, I don't understand. Really? <laughs> Neither did they. And they left every single thing behind to follow him. That's what he asks us to do today. Maybe you're farther along with that. Maybe you're a, a born-again believer, but you look at the Scripture and you're like, I just don't understand. Okay, let's talk. Let's help you discover some of those answers. We may have them, we may not, but we can find resources, we can find people, we can find the help that you need. That's the key. Maybe, maybe something this morning, maybe something over the past few weeks or months has inspired you via the Spirit. You know what? I think maybe this family is a little kooky here at Berea. They're a little odd, they're a little strange, but there's something about that that I kind of like because I'm kind of that way. Maybe I'll fit in or maybe I won't. I don't know. But Either way, I think I'd kind of like to join that family there at Berea. We've told you, we don't, we don't talk about church membership here. We talk about church adoption. Amen. We want to love you right into the family of Jesus and right here with all of us messed up people to hang out together and love Jesus the best we know how. So if today you would like to join the body of believers here at Berea and officially become part of it, that would be awesome. We would love to introduce you to everybody else here. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. 
And I love the fact that you didn't just tell the disciples, hey, what did I say? Hey, listen to me. He said, hey, go check it out. Go read for yourself. I'm talking to you. You, That's good enough, but I'm telling you, there's other ways. Here you go. What does my word say about this topic, about this issue, about this thing in life? Oh, you don't understand? That's okay. I don't disown you. I don't dislike you for not understanding. Ask more questions. Seek more answers. Here's where to find them. Oh, and here's a place. Here's a place maybe for you to go and to be a part of the family of God. Father, pastor's messed up. He's a little crazy, but that's okay. There's some people there. Get a little weird sometimes, but Father, here's a place where they're going to love you. They're going to love you the best they can. They're, gonna, they're humans. They're going to fall short. But here's a place where you can feel loved and accepted and will guide you closer to the truths that exist in my word. Father, that's who we're striving to be. And if we fall short, please correct us. Please lift us up. If we're trying to do things on our own, please push us back down so that we're submitting to you and you alone and you first. Father, we are so grateful for your presence this morning and your word to teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.